welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shanna and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Welcome back. We are so excited to see that people are liking, subscribing, and rating. We really, really appreciate it. Today, Shanna and I will be talking about ancestral healing. Shanna and I have always enjoyed research and both have always joked about how we missed our calling on being detectives. (laughs) We were good. We were good. I would see a report on the news or see something about a missing person on Facebook and within hours we would have it solved. We both like mystery and figuring things out. As we talked about in the past, we always researched our symptoms as well. Research just seems to be something that Shanna and I always do, no matter what it's about. But in our past, we use these skills in kind of a negative way. So through our awakening and suggested to me by my therapist, we started using the skills in a very different positive way. Shanna started about a year ago researching her ancestry, and she was led into a very emotional, eye-opening ancestral healing journey. She spent hours upon hours, days upon days, months upon months, researching, documenting, exploring, traveling, and writing about what she was led to discover. Her journey jump-started mine. I am still at the beginning stage of my journey. Shanna and I believe our guides, the universe, the divine, and our ancestors held our hands, so to speak, during this entire process and helped us find their stories and their names. And we both experienced connections that are with our ancestors, some good, some bad, some connections were stronger with some ancestors than others. As empaths, we would feel their pain. And I felt like, I don't know about you, Shannon, but sometimes I felt like I was actually imagining myself experiencing what they'd gone through as well. So you're probably thinking, why in the hell would I want to do that? Why would I want to go through my ancestry and feel their pain and their experiences? Or like Gary Soto said, I fear getting to know my ancestors. Hell, I don't even like my current relatives. (laughs) (laughs) But let me just tell you, there are so many positive things that happened during this emotional roller coaster of an experience. In many cultures, ancestors are honored. It is part of their healing, part of their heritage. America has sadly lost this, perhaps, maybe, and hopefully the trend of ancestry DNA test will change this. Our ancestors have overcome so very much for us to be where we are today. Learning and connecting with your ancestors can help you heal and also stop patterns, personality traits, illnesses, and even stop the transfer of genetic trauma. Healing the wounds of your ancestors can benefit us and all of you in many ways. You can help your lineage evolve by sharing your ancestral stories. You can heal years of limited beliefs, racism, addiction, abuse, and become the derailing path for your children and your many generations to come. Yes, this process can be emotional and it does take a lot of time and energy, but you will feel a sense of accomplishment and healing. And I felt a lot of pride when doing this. You're going to gain an attitude of gratitude for what you have today and your overall perspective on today's world will change. You will feel closer to your ancestors and you also will find that you'll feel closer to your living relatives because hopefully you'll talk to them, share with them, question them, talk to them about their knowledge and wisdom. 
We found that remembering family and where we are from gives us a purpose and helps us understand ourselves and our family. I will also add that for me, it helped me to get out of my own head and it felt very spiritually rewarding. Shanna, can I ask you, where did you start on this journey? I want to say that we must have a great therapist (laughs) because she suggested that I fill my time with something more productive rather than just scrolling through Facebook, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And this really did that. This actually filled my time. It helps me connect on a deeper level with myself as well as my ancestors. And I realized that every family has its own story. And today I'm going to share with you mine. I've always said that I owed my life to the muddy Mississippi. My mom was from New Orleans and my dad from St. Louis and they met on a riverboat called the President. I was born in New Orleans, to which I have a very deep love and connection to. And although I grew up in Colorado most of my life, I've always felt that my soul's home was in New Orleans. And what I end up discovering explains this strong connection. My journey started innocently with a fun ancestry DNA test. Little did I know what I was about to venture into. I felt like I was being led to this. I didn't seek it, but I was awake and I had new eyes. And I was open to receive this. But still, my soul may have been ready but my ego was about to be shocked. And my ego was shocked too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When I received my DNA test results, Mandy and I were on our way home from taking the girls to the museum. Do you remember that, Mandy? I do. So my DNA results were a little bit of a shocker, but the larger story came from over 1,000 DNA matches of people that I had never in my life heard of. And after some investigation, I had found that they were French Creoles. And they were people who I was told lived down the road in Louisiana. The DTR? Yes. And this would also be in Plaquemines Parish. I had known that for generation after generation, my family was from Louisiana, but I didn't know who our ancestors were or what they had gone through for me to be who I am today. And actually up until that moment, that had never been much of importance to me. I mean, I've always been about, you know, the soul enters the body and the soul is leading me and I don't need anything else. I just need the soul to lead me and this is what life is about. But now looking at these results of this DNA test, I was questioning, wait, what? What made this body? DNA made this body? My mom, my dad, those before me, my ancestors, who are they? What is their story? What are their strengths and weaknesses that may have been passed down to me? what traits, characteristics, not just physical characteristics, which in my family, we all look alike. We even talk alike. You do. We have similar voice tones. We share. You're all beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And and we all have a very caring, nurturing. Yes, you do. Part of us, which I always said we got from my mama. But I started to put together my family tree on the Ancestry database. Now, this is a cool little tool because this will help you find census records, military records, birth and death records, baptisms, residential info, school info. Pictures, stories. Yes. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's just... I had no idea that all of that 
was could be was in there and could oh, be found. You can really get to know a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this information is available if you have if you pay a fee to them per month. Mm-hmm. It's well worth it. It is well worth it while you're going through your ancestral journey. What was puzzling though was that I was hitting all these roadblocks like I love that you used the word puzzling because it was literally like having to put a puzzle together. It really, truly was. A really hard puzzle. Yeah, very hard puzzle. I mean, you would have thought my family was like in the witness protection program. <laughs> I could not, could not they were, They were them. all missing. But because I do have some amazing research skills, I got on <laughs> Google and I started to search. And I had found that my grandparents were named in a book that had just been recently published, like two weeks ago. So before. wait, you just Googled your grandparents' names and this book pops up? Yeah. Whoa. I didn't even know that. I knew about the book, but I didn't know that's how you found it. Yes, and that, that was shocking as well. Yeah, no kidding. So I ordered the book, and I get the book, and I after like the third page, I shut the book. I'm like, I got to contact this lady. The author? Yes. So I contact her, and she actually called me. And come to find out, she is a cousin of mine who I never knew existed. Wow. And we spent hours on the phone. She shared with me that I had a very rich historical history. So she helped me put together my family tree and my ancestral lines, which I am so grateful that she did, which would have taken me probably 10 years to do. (laughs) So I appreciated her help for sure. She also told me the stories of her own ancestral lines and she shared with me that many of those before us had to pass as white what and yeah that I was like pass as white what 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 is that yeah what does that even mean I mean I get do we just live in Colorado and we just (laughs) don't use that we don't have that I but I was speechless pretty confused I had all kinds of emotions and so I opened her book again and I read her book And this did help me understand that the French Creoles were a forgotten people in the Deep South. I end up uncovering an 80-some-year-old secret, one that those before me worked really hard to cover. I didn't know what to do. I was very confused, and I wondered if anyone else knew. I have a large family, and honestly, I didn't know if they wanted to know. Did you ever consider stopping, or what kept you going? Yes. Absolutely. I, I like thought maybe I shouldn't go here. But I was being led by my soul. I was awakened at this point. I feel that it was something I couldn't stop almost in me. I was dreaming about it. Some people probably even say that I was becoming obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. But it was like my ancestors wanted me to know and I was listening. I love that. Another book that I read during this time called The Chosen Exile, the author Alison Hobbs says, to write a history of passing is to write a history of loss. Loss of self, loss of family, loss of community. The family jokes, the oral history every family has and repeats and passes down, those things are lost to a people who pass. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand what the hardships were that led to this denial of a culture, heritage, family name, and race. I needed to know why. I remember people saying to me, it doesn't change who you are, yet I had felt in so many ways that it had. It wasn't the race part, though, that bothered me. It was the history of an entire culture 
and history forgotten. I was faced with having to accept and understand that those before me were born in a time period and place that I found it hard to relate to. And their unknown challenges, especially in the Deep South, were far more than anything that I've ever experienced in my life. I had to educate myself and discover the ugly truths, the pain, the fear, the suffering of this unfamiliar time and open my heart and mind and my soul to begin to understand. I had so many questions. I felt a strong need to know, and no matter how that knowing came, I needed to know. I read everything I could, more books than I have ever read in my entire <laughs> life, like within one year. <laughs> I had watched every documentary out there. I had collected every document that I could on ancestry. And in one documentary, Too White to be Black, Too Black to be White, the New Orleans Creoles, Maurice, Martinez read this poem. He said, a confused young man looked at his Paran, which is French Creole for Godfather, and asked, what am I? Who am I? Who are my ancestors kin? I'm fair, my brother's brown, and my sister's of olive skin. My mother says, Creole. What is that? Am I supposed to know? How can I really know how I came to be? How come we're different complexions? What am I supposed to see? Paran, the youth besieged him. Why are we so many colors? What does Creole really mean? Who can I call my brothers? Am I black or white? I do not understand. Okay. Am I black or am I white? I do not understand. What is my true birthright? Mm. Yeah. You can just feel a sense of being so lost. As I set out to discover the remarkable lives of my ancestors, I often thought, why have we never been taught this in school? I mean, did I just not pay attention? Which is absolutely possible. Yeah, I can remember uh, saying, the past doesn't matter. All that matters is the future. Yeah. Yeah. But these stories seem like they were very important moments, like in American history. Yeah. And the education that I remembered receiving in school, like, only skimmed the truth. It seems like it was selected history that's being taught. Mm. Like, perhaps politically motivated. I wonder if, like, purposely hidden, altered, controlled, half-ass accounts of the truth. Um, well, I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, probably. But I discovered a true and harsh history of a forgotten people that have been here on this land for hundreds of years their culture and their stories were lost because of race, sex, religion, and politics. I'd like to read another quote from an American poet and political activist, Alice Dunbar Nelson, written in 1917. There is no state in the union, hardly any spot of like size on the globe where a man of color has lived so intensely, made so much progress, been such historical importance, and yet about whom so comparatively little is known. His history is like the Mardi Gras of the city of New Orleans, beautiful and mysterious and wonderful, but with a serious thought underlying it all. May it be better known to the world someday. Alice Dunbar Nelson was a wise, beautiful soul. <laughs> I read one of her books called The Stones of the Village, and this book was about the identity crisis and struggle of being a free woman of color. 
and not being accepted by either black or white. And this book speaks to the benefits and the hardships that may have come with passing as white. So she was a free woman of color. What does that exactly mean? Right? That's how I felt when I yeah. first... What does that even mean? Le Chant de Coup de Libre. Whoa. Wait, hold on. What is that? That was... French for free people of color. I would like to add really fast that when Shanna was going through this journey... I could read French. She could read French. That was a weird thing. Yeah. And I A lot of the documents and stories that I was finding were in French... And for some reason, I have no idea why, I was reading them and yeah. understood them. And understood them. I couldn't believe it. I, it was like your ancestors were working through you and helping you. Isn't that insane? It's, it was so it was, insane. It was super cool. It was so cool. So the free people of color, this was a race once. On the census, had black. You had white, and you had free people of color. So it would be like FWC for free woman of color, or FMC for free man of color. Oh, my God. And then you had white, and you had black. And then eventually, you also could be claimed as mulatto, and you. Okay. Mulatto was a mixed race. It doesn't have to be just like a black and white mixed. It could also have been white or Indian. Okay. If they didn't know what to put you as, you were brown. <laughs> Actually, I just heard in this documentary, they said, this is how it was. If you were black, stay back. If you are brown, stick yeah. around. Stick around. If you were white, you're all right. You're all right. Oh my God. Ooh. Yeah. Pretty really makes me sick. It makes me sick. You'd think that some of my ancestors were also confused about their race. It was very common for me to see one census would show they were mulatto. The next census would show they were Negro. And then the next census they would show that they were white. This would show you that they passed as well. Oh, okay. And you could usually see in their documents, you could, you could trace this. You could follow the trail of how they passed and when they did. Usually with a name but this change. But is this why you kept hitting those roadblocks? Yes. In some parishes, especially in Plaquemines Parish, if you were lighter than a paper bag, you could probably legally pass, have somebody get you legal documents to pass as white and get out of there. Okay, and you're not even saying that, like, you didn't make that up. That was an actual thing. Yes. Why would it be that somebody had three different races during their lifetime to explain this, I'm going to have to give a little short history lesson. So it all started at the mouth of the Mississippi River in 1682. So it was the first land to be discovered on the Louisiana Territory. The French discovered it and named it Louisiana after the king of France, King Louis. And they began their settlement there in the 1700s. They started to build New Orleans and they imported slaves over to help build. In the 1720s, New Orleans became the capital and the trading post for mainly furs, tobacco, and indigo. And the King of France offered free transportation from France to the New World. They had five fleets of ships ready to take over whoever showed up, and they showed up in the thousands. You had French, Germans, Swiss, and other people who wanted to go to the New World. And so the only thing that was required was that you were Catholic. 
So if you weren't Catholic, you could get baptized right there. And the other was encouraging them to learn French because this is owned by the French. So they literally had to commit to this religion in order to come over. Yes, yes. If So if you actually survived this trip across the transatlantic ocean, you were very lucky because only half of the passengers would survive this. Did they know that before getting on? Like Probably not. These ships did not have proper resources that would supply these immigrants for months. Okay. And that's about how long it took, four months, for some of these ships to make the, the, the crossing from Port Lorient to Louisiana. And once they got to the Port of New Orleans, they were given land, they were granted land, and this is how their population began to grow. So they sent over in 1728, they sent over a bunch of, they called them casket girls because they came over with their long pine boxes of clothes and their, <laughs> all of their belongings, and they were lined up along the Mississippi River. So the nuns gave them these white gowns to wear, fresh clothes and everything, and then they went out in the middle of the night, because that's when they arrived, was during the middle of the night. And the men are like, what the hell? And this is actually how the rumor of, like, vampires started in the city of New Orleans. No way. I never... Yeah. Wow. So That's so they crazy. thought that these women came <laughs> out of their coffin <laughs> their pine boxes. Oh, my gosh. But the reason why the king, king gifted these women um, to all the men in the city... What were, a nice king. Yeah. yeah. But because they, they needed to be able to grow their population... So the free people of color that came were business owners, teachers, authors, landowners, plantation owners. They even owned slaves. No. So how free were they really? They did have to follow the Black Code. And the Black Code regulated the relations between the masters and the slaves. But it also, also applied to the free men of color. For example, they must be baptized Catholic. Mm-hmm. Okay. They could not work on Sundays. They, if they died, they were to receive a proper burial. Okay. Interracial marriages were forbidden. Slave masters could not inflict torture or bring death to their slaves. So these, these are just like a few of them. There's tons of them. So the free people had to go by this black code law. They did. Right. Even though the free people of color were free and were not slaves, they weren't enslaved. They still had to follow the laws of this, so they weren't able to marry white. Okay, okay. And the difference was, because they were free, they were able to, like, own land. They were able to have... Successful businesses. Right. Okay, They weren't able to vote. They were just a step under, Okay. to be honest. But they were very successful, and they really helped build the colony. And at one point, there was a larger population of free men of color than there was even white. Wow. Yes. And at one point, there was also double the amount of slaves, unfortunately. But by 1778, at least one-third of the free people of color owned at least one slave. Louisiana now having the largest population of free men of color, either born into freedom, granted freedom by their master, or they had bought their freedom sometime during the Spanish rule. Mulattoes, over time, were trying to whitewash what does this mean? Let me yeah. explain. Shanna said that to me, and it gave me an unsettling feeling in my stomach immediately, And but I didn't really know what it meant. So in the antebellum, they would have what they would call 
I'm sure you've heard of the debutante balls. In New Orleans, in the city, they would have octoroon and quadroon balls. So quadroon being that you are a mulatto of at least an eighth or less of black and quadroon being a quarter or less. So many tell the story of mulatto women being very exotic looking. They were desirable to the white man. White women hated them. I had heard in a documentary one time someone say the purpose of a mulatto woman was to be a mistress to a white wealthy man. So their parents would arrange this octoroon or quadroon ball and they would arrange wealthy eligible white bachelors to come to these balls where they would then choose their mistress and then they would negotiate with her parents. She would maybe have children with him. Now they could, they would have no legal rights to like his wealth or finances. She wouldn't and the children wouldn't? Right, no. And also, they would be whitewashing. Their security came with the color of their skin. And that the lighter that they got, the safer and more accepted they would be. Mm. And what's sad is that was true. This was true. Yeah. Yes. And I have many examples of this in my family tree. Well, and I've watched a few documentaries myself and even saw a guest on a talk show where they would apply like white makeup and they would do whatever they could. Skin bleaching cream. Yeah. Um, straightening their hair. Yeah. Denying their true selves. Well, and here's the thing, because they weren't accepted on either side. They weren't accepted on the black side and they weren't accepted on the white side. The only thing they could do was choose one side or the other. The other side was enslaved. So would these men be part of those children's lives at all? No, and they and would, they even say that the, the children of in this situ in the passe situation was usually fatherless. Then what happened is that Louisiana was purchased for fifteen million dollars by President Thomas Jefferson, who himself had a little mistress at home, by the way. What, a little mulatto mistress? Yes. Mm. And actually, DNA now has proved that this was true. The majority of the population in New Orleans were African, and African or African descent of some sort, when Louisiana was purchased. The new governor of Louisiana now, Claiborne, was unfamiliar and definitely not prepared. He had free people of color who were owning slaves, they owned much of the land there. Most of the property belonged to the free blacks who owned more than a quarter of houses of real estate in New Orleans. And majority of the owners were single women. Whoa. Creole cottage in, in the French Quarter. Found themselves a little sugar daddy. Yeah. To much of the surprise of the Americans, this is not what they were expecting. You know, the culture of Louisiana was very unfamiliar to the Americans. Yeah. So now that Louisiana was owned by the United States and no longer under the French, they decided to make new rules. They saw that there was no control of the blacks there. They didn't approve of race mixing and they would not accept this. I hear a lot of fear and a lot of control and a lot of ego. Yes. 
So a few years after Louisiana was purchased, they had the Battle of New Orleans, which I find is a very important battle because this just proves how multicultural Louisiana was. So Andrew Jackson, who was like the head of the military then, had been sent to Louisiana. Okay. The British were attacking, and they were going to come through the mouth of Mississippi to make their attack. So the British came through the bayou. Okay. Plantation area of, like, Parkman's Parish. Okay. Andrew Jackson, not prepared for this soon of an attack, and actually he had signed a treaty, but they hadn't gotten it yet because it's, like, Christmas time, too. This is on Christmas Eve. So Andrew Jackson says, well, we need as much help as we can right now. So he called on the Indians. He called on the pirates. Andrew Jackson called on the slaves. He called on the French Creoles. He called on everybody to come together as one. Oh. Everyone who's, yes, everyone who has been fighting against each other, he is calling on all of them to come together. He gave slaves their very first right to bear arms. So they fought, they won successfully, and... When it was over, were they still allowed to bear arms? Actually, they were. I'll tell you what happened. Andrew Jackson refused to take away their right. In fact, the Louisiana judges and and everyone was like, you cannot. You have to take away. They cannot bear arms. Because they're afraid that they would turn on them. So after the Battle of 1812, after Civil War, after the slaves were freed, then you had Jim Crow era, the one-drop rule. If you have one drop of black in your blood, and it doesn't matter... If this was 200 years ago, you are black. Segregating black people in the U.S. Yeah. So the Jim Crow era is segregation, and it's mandatory. This is where they hit hard with segregation. They separated the races. There was no more mulatto option as a census choice. You were either black or white. They did not want any mixing of races. Cities to be segregated, their schools, their buses, their water fountains, and this went on fierce. My ancestors, they were in probably one of the worst segregation areas of the world. City in this parish was, was run 50 years by the most racist politician, Leander Perez. Yeah, I do not like him. No, he was very public in how he despised anybody who was not white, and he... He was very proud of it. He had no problem talking about it. He was it. very arrogant. You can look up, you can look up his name, and you'll be disgusted. Yeah, you'll, well, it's disgusting. Now, I must say that I have not experienced personally the evils of racism. I have seen it. I hate it, but I have not lived it. And however, I have, through this journey have had to face such hate and then I could barely even repeat some of the stories I've shared today, some of them, but some of them are just god awful. And I have cried so many tears for those who know what it feels like to be judged for the color of your skin. And I have learned with the deepest despair many, many stories. And I have felt hate towards even my own ancestors who owned slaves. They bred them, branded them. You know, human beings counted as inventory. You know, treated like livestock. I mean, I, I just, I, I had a very hard time. Yeah, because you even found the slave, what are the they? The slave records, yeah, yeah. You can find the slave records. But they were sold and separated from their families. Some of the stories are awful. I mean, I even have a grandmother who, her, she doesn't even have a name. Her name is Slave of Therese. Oh, God. And the grandfather is her master. I mean, I have... 
I have cried for the young girls who have who were forced to marry at like 14 years old, which was common, not just in my family. And then, you know, to these old men who would go on to abuse them. I have mourned for the families that have been separated and segregated, having to deny their own kin, their brothers and sisters. Stories that I read about the hurricanes and how they just demolished cities. There's this one story about this brother and sister who were like floating down the Mississippi River. Brother was struggling to hold a sister and she just let him go because she said, we're both going to die. And I had, I had Canadian ancestors. I had one who was a shaman. He was, he was the medicine man of his, of his tribe. He is known as the apostate. And what that means is that he converted to Christianity. I do also have an amazing ancestor who most people know. She is the infamous Marie Laveau, <laughs> the video queen of New Orleans. And when I was younger, I thought she was the boogeyman. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. You know, I read that her gravesite is the second most visited gravesite in the behind Elvis Presley. Yes. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. Right. I've read different historical, very old books on her, mm-hmm. and she was really nothing more than a herbalist or like a healer. Yeah. Just kind of like, almost like me. It's just that she was feared. Yeah. And because of the laws, the black law, well, the because, black code, yeah. you weren't allowed to practice anything mm. but Christianity. So she was kind of going against that. Interesting. And she had a following. And she had a few husbands that went missing. I'm not saying maybe she didn't have a little something to do. I don't know. <laughs> oh but my they probably goodness. deserved it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Oh but, yeah, but, I mean, she was even called in the newspaper, like, the sainted, a sainted woman. And I think what they feared was that, so she would go visit the jails and sit with those who had sinned and pray with them. And she would go to the hospitals with, mm-hmm. and pray with the people who had, like, yellow fever. And they were like, oh, she, she's not getting it. How come she doesn't get yellow fever? Yeah. So they thought, you know, she was wicked. People always fear the unknown. Yes. And back then, especially, especially back then. anyone that was just very, different. Very conditioned people. Yeah. So I had to accept so many things along my ancestral journey, but I think the hardest thing that I had to accept was that not everybody was ready to receive. Not everybody was ready to face these truths. Just so conditioned that they would rather turn away from knowing than embrace the truth. They would rather be blind and not educate themselves due to fear, which this is what rooted all of this hate to begin with. Fear. Fear. That's that's the word that's sticking out to me this entire time I've been and it sitting kept, here. But it kept everybody in bondage, a bondage that they will never be set free of unless they are willing to accept change. So being an empath, my soul was hurting and because I could really sense the shame so to honor and acknowledge them brings meaning and purpose, not just to my life, but to theirs, to everything that they had to endure. And this healing and strength will now pass on from me to my generations, from one generation to the next to the next. I have gained so much wisdom and understanding that otherwise I never, ever would have had. It has expanded my soul far deeper than I ever could imagine. My roots are so deeper than I ever thought. 
Their choices, both good and bad, have your ancestors' choices and decisions. I have made peace with even the bad decisions because had those bad decisions not even been made, I wouldn't even exist today. And I believe that the discovery of my ancestors' history was revealed to me, one, because I was awakened, and two, because I was open to receive this. I was ready for it. This is part of my purpose to share and bring forth this awareness to their stories, to heal generations of things that happened in the past, but it also heals the present and future generations as well. They will not be forgotten people. So what, what I will share with you about my DNA results is that before, when asked what my nationality was, I would say I was Czechoslovakian, French, and Italian. And today I can tell you, I am Czechoslovakian, Cajun, French Creole, and I am proud of that. <sighs> there is still a lot of racism today. Yeah. But I do look and see how far we've come, and I hope that we don't ever go back. And that's why I think out of all of this, it's why I am so against separation. Anything that separates us. What? Uh, um, you know, so our plan was I was going to jump into a little bit of my ancestry, but I'm, I'm not going to do that, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm just really affected right now. Oh. And I'm really emotional. And I have all these feelings. And I feel like it was a lot. It's, it's a lot for people to take in. For our listeners to wrap their head around. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel shaky. I feel incredibly sad. I feel... Uh, when you said the forgotten people, my heart just broke. Because I don't think anyone should ever be forgotten and I think that you by doing this just probably helped a lot of souls rest in peace that deserved that many many years ago I think that there's a lot of lessons in this story and you said you hope things don't go backwards and I think there are a lot of things in our society right now that are causing separation and so it's just a lot for me to wrap my head around. And so from here, I just think it's important that we stress to our listeners that, as you can see, this is emotional. And so we suggest that you wait until you feel like you're ready to receive. We, we suggest that, that you are open. And it's also important to stress to our listeners that when, you're, when you do this, you have to use the tools that we talked about in our last episode about healing when you do this because it, it is a lot of healing and it's a lot of emotions. You gotta sit in it, you gotta process it, you gotta breathe through it. There's meditations out there for ancestral lineage clearing. Journal about it. Journal Whatever. about it. Shanna did that all throughout her whole entire discovery. Yeah. But it's a lot of healing. Right now, I'm just feeling this sense of like all of these ancestors around us are so proud of you sharing this story. And they're, they, they're a little bit freer. I mean, just to think that they probably had dreams of someone like me in the future. 
and it really puts a lot of perspective on life today. Absolutely, yeah. You know, that whole attitude of gratitude that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. It's time for a break that shit down. Yeah, and you know what? I think I'm going to just make this pretty simple. Don't be an asshole. Don't be a racist asshole. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It matters what's inside. If that's what you're looking at, if you're looking at people's, their political views or their beliefs or um, their whatever, you're missing it. We have to learn to connect with each other's souls. We're missing that. We are freaking missing that. Honor, honor the people before you. You know, we're, we're so quick to say rest in peace to people that we know passed away in our current life when we're alive. But what about the ones before them? Those are the people that fought for what we have today. How about our challenge for the week, Mandy? How about we challenge our listeners to learn something about their elders, their ancestors? Like, talk to your grandparents if they're still alive. I wish mine were still alive to have asked them some of the questions that I had when I started my journey. They know so much. They have seen so much. We're so caught up in our busy lives that we never just sit and connect. Find a relative, sit with them and connect with their soul. Learn about them and be present and listen. So yeah, important. they've seen it. They've, they've witnessed it from their own experiences. Not read in a book, not found online. So that would be our challenge. Shanna, do you regret that doing this ancestry? Oh my God, no. I'd say that I carry this with me every single day. It, may, it has made me stronger of a person. I have been able to identify the strengths and the weaknesses that I believe that were in me. And I've been able to face those and choose to be better, stronger, wiser, and spread that not only within my family, but out to you today by sharing my story. Awesome. Well, I know that was emotional for you, and I want to thank you for sharing with me and with the listeners. I have learned so much through Shanna's discovery. I have been with you from the beginning, and it has been an emotional roller coaster for me, too. And please, Mandy is going to have to have her own ancestral healing because she really does have some pretty amazing, historical, very, very important ancestors that need to be honored. I will say that I'm excited to share that. It's also been emotional for me. I had some, I discovered some really fun stuff, too. I love this research that we have done because now we get to choose what we're going to do with it and we can carry it on through the future generations. So next week, Mandy and I have decided we are going to every once in a while have on a special guest. I'm so, so excited about next week's guest. So he is a friend of mine. I went to school with him. His name is Jeff Johnson, and he was in jail for 24 years serving a life sentence. Exonerated for a crime he didn't commit, and he is a sole survivor. So please join us next week for that one. That one will be so much fun. I can't wait. And we appreciate you listening, and please continue to like, review, and subscribe. 
happy birthday to my beautiful daughter, Trenna. Happy birthday. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for listening.